I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. 1911. Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, we, if we have read Psalm 119 at all in your walk with God, and especially those two scriptures, you'll see that the Word of God is vital to spiritual growth and strength. You can't be saved outside the Word of God. You cannot stay saved outside the Word of God. It is our bread from heaven. It is the Word of life. And the Word is our schoolmaster. And that's what brings us to, to Jesus Christ and salvation. It also is our compass and it is our road map to keep us on the pathway to eternal life. We must know the Word so we can obey God. And without it, we are left to the ever-changing philosophies of men. Do you realize without the Bible that you would be subject to every time somebody changed their mind or had an opinion about life in general? You would be looking for everything you possibly could. Whatever psychologist would write something about relationships or about why you feel the way you do on a certain day, you would be reading and grabbing everything you could. And, and let me tell you, let, let me tell you something. If you haven't figured this out, if you have read any of these type of books before, you will find out that basically all of them are written from the Scripture. If you read anything that a psychologist, they may get it from somebody else, but somewhere down the line, somebody got an idea from the Bible. Okay, they might switch it around, change it up, and make it fit what they want. But if you get the basic premise of what is written, you will find out that it comes from the Word of God. So without the Word of God, we would be in a mess when it comes to life in general. And that's not just the church. That's just about everybody. We'd all be in a mess. So we can see that it gives us the, it gives us the hope that we need. And we gotta know the word so we can obey God. And without it, we're left again to those philosophies. Now this is why it's so important to teach Bible studies and to teach the truth of God's word. This is why we have to have the truth of God's word. And that's why it's important for us to teach them. The first thing we need to do is to prepare for teaching a Bible study. The first thing is to pray, and we know that. We know that prayer cannot be, it cannot be minimized in any way. It can't be relegated to some kind of back corner somewhere. We have to pray if we plan on teaching the Word of God. And with this, uh, with this, this uh, I almost always try to say program, with this, this new thing that we're going into, <laughs> I can put it, I don't want to say program. Uh, when we're going into uh, Revival by Design, when we go into this, we have to realize it has to be done with prayer. Revival by Design, again, is just simply the Word of God. It's something we've already done. It's something that is already, uh, that, that, that the Bible has been full of. It's the book of Acts brought out and organized. That's exactly what it is. So, so this is something that, that we, uh, as we have to do. We have to pray. And this may again seem obvious, but without prayer, we'll not have the anointing necessary 
to present the word to the hearer. Now that is vital because without anointing, without that touch of God on our, on our vocal cords, if you would, it doesn't get through. The Bible can just be taught in such a way that anybody can teach it and it can, it can touch your mind. It might help you to change your mind, but anointing goes beyond the mind. It goes to the heart. It's what touches the emotions of people that will cause them to be baptized if you're teaching on baptism. See, that's, that's, I always have been one of these when I'm teaching a particular subject or principle or doctrine out of the Bible. I'm always prepared for that person to act on that particular thing at that time. And if we're doing a revival by design in home churches and you're teaching this, this person may get up and say, hey, I, I understand. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to be ready to baptize that person right then because we don't want them to get away. We don't want the devil to take the word and out of their heart. You call a preacher, you bring him here, we'll baptize him in Jesus' name. It's just that simple. So we have to be, we have to be prepared, or have to prepare for teaching a Bible study. And then, and that is again to pray. And we have to have anointing. And we need the Spirit of God to guide us and are preparing for the Bible study as well as for the actual teaching of the Bible study. We also need to pray for the Lord to prepare the heart of the hearer to receive the Word in faith. We need to pray that God would direct our studying of the Word. We, we seek the Lord to give us insight into what this particular student needs to hear and help in guiding us in how to present this lesson to that particular audience. No two groups of people or audience, if you would, are the same. No two individuals are the same. We have to seek the Lord's anointing so we can reach the people we are teaching in a way they can understand and receive. You can't teach who Melchizedek was to someone who doesn't have salvation. Just because you, I've said this before, we're going to go right back and recover some ground. You, if you get bored teaching the same thing in Bible studies, you need to pray through it yourself. Don't expect to try to ooh and awe somebody that you're teaching that doesn't have a clue about what the Scripture says. You teach them the basics. You feed them the milk of the Word. You don't feed them steak at the very beginning because you get bored. And everybody said, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. You're right, Brother Roberts. I said it all just like that. All right. <laughs> and now, so we have to seek the Lord's anointing. We need to reach people. Uh, and, and we have to do it in a way that they can understand and receive it. Now, Bible studies are not given to prove how much we know. All right, you don't have to prove how smart you are. You don't have to. It's not vital. I mean, it's nice when they're all done and they'll tell you, they'll come up and say, Boy, you know so much about the Bible. They will. They'll tell you that. And I've, I've, heard, I've heard Jimmy Swaggart and I've heard all those guys, and, and you know so much more than they do, and then all of a sudden your head starts swelling up. You get to looking just like this young lady down here, all swelled up in the head, thinks that she knows everything, got flowers coming out of her ears. Look at that. Look at that red face. I've accomplished what I needed to do. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's you are not proving how great you are. This is not about you. 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 Hit me on the back so you get the record unstuck. It's not about you. 
This is not about how great you are. We need to give them what they need. So it, it's, it's, it's vital. So we need to pray and, and, and ask God to help us. And if we have a tendency to get beyond, then we need to ask God to bring us back. I was, uh, I was in praying before service, and there were some things that, that I'd just not been happy with myself about. And I, I don't know, it, I, it's nothing vital. It was vital to me. And, and I just I said, God, it seems like I can't get there again. And it just came to me that, well, the way to get there again is to ask God to help you to get there again. You know, you, you tell God some things, but you don't really ask God to help you with it. And so I began to say, Lord, I, I want to get that again. I, I want to get there again. I can't go beyond until I can get what I'm not doing. Does that make sense? And so, and so I began to ask God just to get me directed back in, in, a, in a direction that, that I really need to be in. So it's, it's, it's vital to, for us to ask God to help us. And, and, and if we have tendencies to get, uh, get into ourselves or have tendencies to try to get above other people, then we just simply need to pray that, Jesus, I want to reach these people, and it doesn't matter whether I'm bored with it or whether I am or am not bored with it, help me to do what's right for these people. After prayer for the Bible study, we must begin to prepare for what we are going to teach. The main ingredients for preparation should be the following, and I know these are simple. Uh, I think you should have them uh, up there. What will I teach and then the rest? Okay. Here we go to what will I teach. Number one, what will I teach? Number two, why am I teaching this Bible study? Number three, what results do I expect from this teaching? Now, this may seem obvious to us. There's a lot of things that seem obvious to us that we need to be reminded of. Sometimes you see something over and over and over again, you begin to fail to see it. It's just there, and you don't really see it any longer. So we, we, have, to, we have to know that uh, we need to, to carefully consider these things every time that we present a Bible study. We should never just pull a lesson off the shelf and hope it works. We need to carefully and prayerfully consider our audience and think ahead of what our aim is for teaching and what we're about to present. Now, Now I, I've dealt with this in the past, and I, I'd, I'd hate to even have to bring this up, but it's, it is a truth. <clears throat> God doesn't contradict himself. Why we have Bible studies, Search for Truth, that's always my favorite, will always be my favorite. And if Search for Truth is presented the way Search for Truth is presented in the, in the, in the order that, it, uh, that the chart is and the way the teacher's manuals are, you will get the results you want. If you go out there and because you think God has spoke to you or spoken to you rather about something else this person needs, you're going to blow it. Now, I don't care whether you like what I'm saying or not. Keep to the Bible study. Keep to the Bible study. How in the world can God contradict his own word? And you and I've had people come to me, well, I, you, 
they were teaching a Bible study. Well, I didn't stay with a lesson this time. I, I taught them on the evil of uh, cigarettes. All right, you can bring up the evil of cigarettes after they're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and got everything else together. You can take them when you go to the book of Revelation, talk about the lake of fire, you can talk about cigarettes then. Okay? Where the Bible says, and all them that smoke the stogie are thrown into the lake of fire. That's that part right there in Revelations 12 and 46. Okay? Now, <laughs> it is so, because so many people miss out on the whole thing, and you've got these people, and I've had, I don't understand why they cancel Bible study. Well, they cancel Bible study because they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Stay with the Bible study. Stay with a Bible study. We know how smart you are. You want to you want to show you know you want to show the church how smart you are. Then let me know, and we'll have you come up here, and we'll set by as the Bible says and judge how smart you are. Okay, that's good preaching. All right, thank you, Lord. I appreciate it. So we have to consider the word should be presented with a purpose. With a purpose, we should know why we are teaching this lesson at this particular time. We should have a definite goal or outcome for this lesson. What do you want this lesson to do? What do you want it to do? Again, any Bible study is good. We've had them from Bible studies in a garbage can to Bible studies in a paper sack and all kinds of stuff. You know, they, they all come up and, they, you know, you sell a bunch of them and, and make somebody rich, somebody who needs the money. Search for truth is the only true Bible study. I'm sorry. Now, I'm sure you'll get somebody else up here and will tell you something different, but that's the only one that I really feel like. Why do you feel that way? Because if we go back to revival by design, it's the same principle of search for truth. You spend time with them. That's why you do this. So you spend time with people. And you let them know who you are and what you are. And not only can they hear your words, but they can see your life. They can see that that person that comes every week at this particular time is the same person every week at that particular time. That's, that means more to me than anything else, and it, I, I guarantee you to more people than you think. I want to see somebody that is real and doesn't come into my house looking all down and depressed because he and his wife got in a fight right before I came to Bible study. I want to see him smiling. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting away from my lesson, aren't I? Doing the very thing I said not to do. <laughs> so we have, to, we have a goal for this lesson. Teaching on baptism, my goal is for that person to be baptized. Teaching on the Holy Ghost, my goal is for that person to receive the Holy Ghost. So we also need to be prepared for that outcome that we hope will happen. If we, again, teach a lesson on water baptism, we need to be prepared to see this person baptized at the end of the lesson. We should also be prepared to answer any and all questions that may have, they may have at the end of the lesson. We need to plan ahead for the expected result. Believe me, if you teach enough Bible studies, you will learn what questions a person will ask just about every time at the end of a particular lesson. And you can have the answers prepared for that. Now, I know that you get into areas here, and I, I would strongly 
encourage you to try to keep lessons at the end. Some people will not listen to that. They will have to have their answer right in the middle. And they may ask something that is completely off. So what do you do? Let's just see what you would do. Someone raise their hand. you got somebody that's coming in there, and, and you're teaching on water baptism, and you're all anointed, you feel the anointing coming on, and, and they ask about, you know, they ask about their, their poor little boy who still wets a bed, and he's 15 years old. What do you do? Go ahead. Not you, him. I knew you'd answer. You always answer. Go ahead. And then I'll tell you how that when I was 15, I used to wet the bed. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah, that's exactly right. You try to steer them away. If they just absolutely refuse to be steered away, and I hope you don't get a question like that. I hope. Then, you know, the thing to do is to say, listen, I know I've got a guy at our church that could really help you with that. His name is Eldar Arumbaya. And he has he he's he's been trained in these kind of things. So we'll get you set up with an appointment. <laughs> the way people are laughing, I think maybe there's some problems out there. You may have some appointments to take care of. <laughs> Next, it's also very important in teaching Bible studies to present the Bible to people so they can come to salvation and so they can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible the Bible is of, according to Peter, under the inspiration of God, of no private interpretation. Holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So we must present it correctly. Now this is, this is very good here. Each scripture has only one interpretation though it can have several applications. Okay? Applications are different than interpretations. This, and this is a good one, and, and I guarantee you, I'm going to say something here that a lot of you have heard preached before. Follow me here. This is just an, an example. And, and uh, of course, in, oh, there's actually a couple of them here. Uh, in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we've heard that. You can quote that. Most of you can. But not only are we to divide the word of truth, we are to rightly divide the word of truth. We must be careful in how we present the Scriptures. So obviously there is a right way to present the word, and there is a wrong way because the Bible wouldn't say rightly. So there is a wrong way of doing it. So you have to be careful in how we teach God's Word. Uh, one day we'll answer for everything that we teach. And I don't want that to scare you off, but that's exactly the truth. Uh, and we're going to get into what I said a little earlier. One mistake people commonly make in teaching the Scripture is to read one Scripture out of context and begin to teach on it. Another common practice is to get a thought or idea. Now, this is especially true with preachers. If you've got this preaching itch... You know, you find something in the Scripture and you want to preach on it. Well, you're not preaching to these people. You are teaching these people. You're teaching them the Scripture, not preaching to them on something that you see in a Scripture. 
Now, these are bad reasons to teach on a particular scripture or idea. So you don't do that just because you've got something out of a scripture. You need to teach that scripture the way that scripture is written. It's, impo- it's, it's imperative. The Word of God never contradicts itself. God cannot lie and therefore will never say anything that goes against something else. He has said every doctrine of the Bible is consistent throughout the entire Bible. The Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. You've heard me say it. What is the Old Testament? Is the New Testament concealed? The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's how it works. Anytime you get a revelation of a particular scripture, or you get a thought or idea that will preach, make sure it is consistent with the whole Word of God. Before ever presenting something from the Word of God, run that scripture or thought through the entire 66 books of the Bible to be sure that when you are reading or thinking is rightly dividing the Word. Not just dividing, rightly dividing the Word. And if your interpretation of the Scripture or your thought or idea is not consistent with the entire Bible, then it is not a correct interpretation or, or a good message to preach. Many times what we'll preach may actually preach, but it's not necessarily true. Okay? We want to be sure we can do it right now. And you've heard, and I've heard preachers, and I've done it myself, you can, you can have a thought out of a Scripture. And again, the application might be correct. But it's not what that scripture actually is talking about. And it's good, if you're going to do that, be sure that people understand that's not what that scripture is talking about. But there's an application in that scripture for what your, your thought is. And that's, that's vital to understand that. <clears throat> this example is given at preaching about how ungodly Lot was because he pitched his tent towards Sodom. They preach on this from Genesis 13, 7 through 13. And a lot of people, and I've heard it used this way. I don't know if I've done it or not. If I have, I'll have to repent. Uh, I know the rest of the Scripture is out there. I just never really thought about it. They use verse 12, which says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom to prove how bad Lot was. Supposedly, he was a bad man for pitching his tent towards Sodom. This is supposed to show his carnal desire to live in wickedness. However, the Scriptures tell us otherwise. 2 Peter 6 and 8 says this, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with filthy conversation, of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, how do you deal with that one? <laughs> you don't understand that? Well, no, no, you know, you understand something. He was a young man. What, he, what Lot did wrong was not giving Abraham the choice. It did not make him a wicked person. He was a young, impetuous, dumb, just like preachers we got. Young, impetuous, dumb preachers. You know, you don't learn how to preach till you're 45 years old. <laughs> I love that. I used to have to hear that all the time when I was younger. All the time. So now I can do it to other people. Well, 
Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. He he reaped. Yeah. And you know, justness and righteousness could have been. He might have changed a lot by being in the environment that he was in. So you know, we have to look at that. But it doesn't mean that he was wicked. He was stupid. But again, stupid doesn't mean you're wicked. How many know a lot of stupid people? Time I look in the mirror, see one. (laughs) All right, where is some preachers may preach that Lot was a bad person for pitching his tent toward Sodom? God vindicates Lot by calling him a righteous man. Again, where do we, we go? Whose report are you going to believe here? The message of Lot pitching his tent toward Sodom, it may preach, but it's not scripturally accurate. Be careful to rightly divide the word of truth. A Bible study should never be taught to show off again how much you know. You can know the scriptures better than anyone else, but that does little if it does not, it's not presented in the proper manner. Bible study should have the purpose of winning the lost or establishing a soul, or helping someone learn more of God so they can grow in His grace. Our audience must know that our desire is to share this word with them so they can know Him. It can never be about us. I can't emphasize that enough. It can never be about us. Bible studies should never be given to prove I am right and you are wrong. You're going to have that occur. It's going to happen, and someone's going to call you on it, and I guarantee you because I've done it myself. No matter how hard you try, sometimes you just get righteously indignant. That's the best way of putting it. You just get mad, and you, and you, you will defend the Word of God, but honestly, if you just keep your mouth shut and say, well, I'm just teaching you the way the Scripture teaches you know, you put the emphasis on the Bible, then they're not arguing with you. <laughs> they're arguing with God. Well, I had one guy, remember, he said, I just, it was right there in front of him. I just don't believe that. I said, well, that's fine. That's up to you. You know, it really is. It's up to them. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. But there it is. I had my taxes them one time, and she, the lady was doing my taxes, made a statement. She said, I don't know anywhere in the Bible where it says, do you have to be baptized? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm saying, where baptism saves us. That's what he says. Where baptism saves us. I said that wrong. And I took her to First Peter, the third chapter, and it says it just like that. Which baptism doth also save us. Not the putting away the filth of flesh, but an answer of a good conscience towards God. And I, I said, because I, I told her, I said, well, I, I can show you. I didn't have Bible with me. And I was getting my taxes done. I wasn't going to preach. And uh, so I, she said, well, I got a Bible over here. She got the Bible, and I, I Found scripture and laid it out. And, and her words was this. She said she was a good denomination where we all know about, uh, which used to believe that baptism is the only way to be saved. <laughs> now they don't. And uh, she made the statement. She said, I've never seen that before. That was her statement. That's what we're trying to do. Give them something, the truth, that they've never seen before. So many times they sit in churches that do not preach the whole counsel of God, and it's up to us to preach the whole counsel of God. That's, that's what we do. So I don't do this to prove I'm right and you're wrong. The Scriptures should never be presented so we can prove our superior knowledge of God's Word. A wise man said many years ago, 
You win an argument, you lose a friend. He also said you can be right in the argument, but wrong in the spirit. This is why we should never argue the Scriptures, but present them in a way that it will reach the heart of the hearer. We must love the souls of the people we're trying to, to teach. Our goal and our purpose must be for their good. Jesus died for souls. And we must desire to live for the souls for which, we, for which Jesus died. We should present each Bible study prayerfully. We need to consider our students and their needs. Uh, willing to suffer for their perfection. We need to be careful to build up souls and not to kill the souls. You build people up. You don't kill them. Jesus died for them. Do you realize that the very that was those people that are so hard-headed, hard to move, hard to get along with, that, that's what you used to be. That's exactly what you used to be. But someone took the time with you. So, so Lord, Lord, help us all to know how to rightly divide the word of truth because that, that's what we have to do. All right, we're going to move on to the next section here. Some of this next section... Um, Brother Elkins taught on this before, but I'm going to cover some of it uh, here again. Some of you may have heard it, uh, and some of it he didn't cover all of it completely. And this is this is talking about the kings and, and priests. Uh, I have actually preached on this. Now, this is not presented quite this way, but I want to bring something out from the very beginning. Some people are called to be priests or preachers. Some people are called to be kings. Kings, if you study it, kings are the people who can go out and finance a lot of things. The sad part about it is a lot of times you get somebody who's got the ability and the calling to make money. And they can help not only in the church they're in, but they can help in missions, they can help in home missions. You know, They can do so much. But oftentimes, because they got the money, they feel like that they've got to be the one doing the preaching because they're the one investing the money. I know of a case right now overseas that a man, a millionaire, multi-millionaire, and he bought a church building, a very large building uh, for a church in Manila. And uh, the thing is that he goes over there and they have to organize crusades for him to preach. And the guy preaches. Well, then we won't say any more about it. Okay, he just doesn't do very well. He's not a preacher. He's a king. But he thinks that he should be a priest. So maybe, you know, if you want something to do for God and you don't really feel like you're a preacher, ask God to make you a king. You ever really have anybody now that there's, you know, there's divisions and there's, there's balance and everything. And this is really what this lesson is teaching. It's about balance. And, and you can't have, you know, some of the early, the, the, the early church, early Pentecostal church, early 1900s, uh, and this was a common thing. And they used to take a smaller churches and when they had a choir sing, the whole congregation got up and sang in the choir. Everybody sang. They were the choir. Didn't have anybody sing to, but they had a good time. And not everybody is a singer. Not everybody is a preacher. 
Not everybody can have the, I mean, we all can invest and we can give what we've got, but some people have got that particular calling. There's, if you get to Romans, the 12th chapter, and about the first 20 verses, it tells you that there's, there's, I broke it down one time, and there's almost 99 different callings in that particular, those particular verses of Scripture. There, are, there's that many, and, and there's encouragers. There are people that's got a calling for that. And what's so sad is we can't operate in those things because that keeps the church out of balance. I always believe the truth of the matter. And when a church is balanced, if a church is truly balanced, that church can't help but prosper because everybody's doing what they need to be doing. That's the vital part. Now, there is a, a balanced structure, spirit, and truth that God gave Moses which is a replica of what is in heaven. Under each section, you will see what each division represents in order for certain gifts to be activated. There again, I go back to what I said earlier. The church, when it's in balance, there'll be certain things that are operating. All gifts are activated according to the will of God. However, we need to know what He is doing so that we can flow with Him. There are some people that simply want to praise uh, excuse me, some, some people who simply want to praise God saying, let's, let's all just love one another. There's some people like that. They have miracles and crowds of people, and other people then would look at them and think that this group must have the truth because they have miracles and crowds. And a lot of times, some of the, some, I think people are outgrowing that now, but there's a lot of times people in Pentecostal churches thought that. They thought, well, they must have something going for them because they got miracles and crowds. Now, follow with me just, just a little bit. We must and can have crowds and miracles because this gospel must be preached to everyone. Of course, seven plus billion people. But we must remember that crowds and miracles, spirit, must be balanced with truth. Now, the division of Aaron is the division of the priesthood that represents the law, character, and sacrifices, forgiveness, the law deals with character. There are many people who seek only power, and when they have that power, they will do anything they desire. However, God has not called us just to have power. He wants to develop character within us. There's a lot of people sitting in big congregations that have miracles that have no character. There's a lot of men who pastor these kind of congregations that have no character. Follow me. So how does God develop character within us? Many times in Scripture, we see that when a person worships the Lord, they will bow their heads or even put their face to the ground. This is an act of submission to the law of God. When you do that, and that is a Shabbat praise. When you get down, put your head down, that is an act of submission that is submission to the law, the governing power of God. Okay? You can, anybody that's got a little faith can get into the areas of the Spirit. And they can probe into these areas and do very well. And still go to hell. Seventh chapter of the book of Matthew will tell you that. Not everyone saith, Lord, Lord, so enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He said, but Lord, we've done many wonderful works in your name. We cast out devils, miracles. 
But he said, Behold, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Why? Because they could not submit to the law, the governing power of God. Okay? I want you to get this. This is, this is very, very important. <clears throat> this is intimacy with God when you bow and submit to him, knowing God. Therefore, when someone says they are free from the law, what they are really saying is that they have no real relationship with God. If you say, I don't have any, I'm free from any the governing power of God, then you have no relationship with God. Because if you really have a relationship, you will be governed and submit to what God wants you to do. Do you? I, 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 I've looked this from one end to the other. Now, if all I had to do was just praise God and just not do anything else and have miracles, then I could probably, we could get that down to one page. We wouldn't have to have carry this around. But there's a whole lot more than just one page there. In, in the last days... There will be those to whom the Lord says, Depart from me, the work iniquity. I just made that statement earlier. And they will say, Lord, we have not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils. And turn the Lord will tell him, I never knew you. Depart from me, the work iniquity. The praise know you indicates intimacy. It's actually the way a husband knows a wife. That's what that word means, or words rather, means. Now the division of the law is so important because while some may say that we don't need standards of righteousness... The question really lies not with what you need, but do you truly want to know God? That is what brings you into relationship with God. Knowing God. A wife will not have a relationship with her husband unless she's governed by some rules and discipline she puts in her own life and her husband puts on her. And vice versa. Husband, too. There are certain things you do and you do not do when you're married. You don't walk into your house with a woman on each arm when you're married. That doesn't work, does it? <laughs> you wouldn't know, would you? <laughs> you? You got put in a corner right there, didn't you? <laughs> All right. This division, or the division, we're looking at the division of Joshua. This division represents the strength of the military through praise and worship unto God. The Lord taught Joshua this, this power of praise. And David also learned this tactic. Joshua took Jericho, and for seven days the Israelites marched around the wall. And on the seventh day they shouted. And when they shouted, the working of miracles took place, and the wall fell down flat, allowing Joshua and the Israelites to be able to conquer Jericho. Okay, this was the this a division of, of, of Joshua, if you would, or the military power of praise and worship. This is also indicative of the archangel Michael, which is a warrior angel, where Gabriel is more of on the law side. He's a messenger angel. So it's, again, these kind of helps you to understand what we're talking about here. When Jehoshaphat went against the, oppo the opposing armies that wanted to destroy Jerusalem, he put praise singers out in front of the army. The Bible records that when they began to praise the Lord, he smote the opposing armies, and they destroyed each other. The Israelites were able to take great spoil through this miracle. When someone seeks after the greatest miracle of all, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they begin by praising the Lord. When they do this, the power of God falls upon them, 
and he fills them with his spirit. Now, we need both of these divisions, kings and priests. When you begin to worship God and there's a, a holy hush, some of the gifts of the spirit are activated. Some of those gifts are healings. Uh, diverse or different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, etc. This is where ministering angels walk around and minister to the saints. When we begin to praise Him, strongholds come down, and God grants the gifts of the gifts of faith, miracles, and of healing, discerning of spirits, and the prophetic. This is when warrior angels walk among the saints, conquering and pulling down strongholds. See the, the importance. That is one reason God has blessed this church is because our church has always been a worshiping church. On whatever form of worship you can worship in, as long as it's proper, you worship God, we'll continue to have revival in this church. Why? It's because we are pulling down strongholds. This is spiritual. You have to have... You see, uh, I've heard people make the statement, and I don't want to... i got to be careful what I say here. Um, you've got... You've got some people who are all law. They're unbalanced. You've got some people who are all spirit, charismatic, unbalanced. But when you have the mixture there that's correct, you listen to the Word of God, you learn the Word of God, you operate by the Word of God, and when you come to church or you're in prayer and you can praise and, and, and let God know how much you appreciate and love Him, then you're going to lose the gifts of the Spirit because you're pulling down strongholds. You know how to pull down strongholds because you are familiar with the law or the governing power of God. That's, that's so important. <clears throat> The, the, diver, or the um, diverse kinds of tongues and, and excuse me, interpretation of tongues are indicated, again, by a holy hush. And we've heard that many times here. God is trying to show you what he wants to do. The prophetic usually operates in a mode of praise. Have you ever noticed that? And it works here that way. A lot of times, a lot of times people don't recognize prophecy. You're at a high end. You know, you're praising God. And uh, someone can come up to this Bible stand, and they can be very prophetic. And you, a lot of times you think, well, it's, it, it feels good, it sounds good, and you're just thinking they're giving you good words. But not really. It's coming from a prophetic spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit that is working under the praise because the praise is going on. Other times you can just be, you know, you can have your hands up and you can be, uh, you know, you can be waving and just everybody gets quiet and then the tongues and interpretation comes forth. The sad part about it is a lot of times God uses tongues and interpretation to get people's attention when it really could come prophetically. And they both accomplish the same thing. Prophecy and tongues and interpretation really do the same thing, but the tongues come a lot of times, again, from two or three people. And there can be, if you've got two or three, there can be two or three uh, different uh, uh, yeah, interpretations. You know, they will complement one another, but, you know, it can be a tongue and interpretation, tongue and interpretation, tongue and interpretation, or it can be three tongues and one interpretation. So, it's, uh, so it can come that way, and it's, it's, but the mode that it comes in, it's just, it's just wonderful if you can pick up and wait on it and allow God to operate that way and be expecting it. God wants to confirm something for, to the people when people are in the mode of praise. So this is where he uses a prophetic utterance to do so. Authority, authority indicates the gift of faith. 
authority. There's a lot of times that, that I've, I've operated in that from up here, and you speak something over the people. And you know through that authority that you're speaking faith. And it always comes about. Because faith is instilled in people, and people begin to believe for something, and it happens. That's through the gift of faith. The gifts of healing are indicated by compassion. Jesus looked at the multitudes, and he had compassion on them, and he healed them. I made this statement. I've made this statement several times. Compassion is a wonderful thing when used correctly. But be sure your compassion is in the will of God and not carnal compassion that's going to hurt you. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? That you can have compassion to the point where you can hurt yourself. I, I think you understand what I'm saying. When you, 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 we've talked about this before. You can actually hurt yourself. But when it, you can have compassion and in the will of God... Uh, healing can take forth, especially if somebody has had the same kind of illness that they're praying for. If a person has had cancer, they can, they can understand what, what that person is going through. If a person has had kidney stones, they can understand what somebody else is going through with kidney stones. An example of compassion, again, too, would be intercession. I believe that anybody that, is, that can intercede is a compassionate person. Because they're interceding for the lost out there. They know and remember what it was like to feel what those people out there are feeling now. They know what that's like. Working of miracles. And, and this, I, I was looking through this, and this is so right. I've seen this. When a church is full of victory, you have miracles. When you've got well, our church right now has got a lot of victory in it. We could see a lot of miracles. If you need a miracle, right now is the time to get a miracle. Because our church is very victorious right now. We have had, and regardless of how individual lives are going, when you walk in this place, you can feel victory within us. And we've got to continue to, to have that victory to see the miracles that God wants to give us. So do we see that? Discerning of spirits is like a sonar. This zones right in. Three spirits, human spirits, demonic spirits, spirit of God. That's what discerning of spirits is. Are you telling what spirits you're dealing with? Words of wisdom present themselves during silent times. Um, and again, words of wisdom, a lot of times you see that in the... Uh, Elijah had this, and he would be what you consider kind of on the military side. The Michael the Archangel. Words of knowledge also present themselves during uh, silent times. Interestingly enough, Elijah was known for miracles, and Moses was known for law. And you see Moses and Elijah on the mount with Jesus. Okay? When we have just one of the divisions... We become off-balanced. When all we want is miracles, we feel that this proves we have everything and we don't need the law. When this happens, we put ourselves in danger of the Lord saying to us, Depart from me, I never knew you. On the other hand, when all we want is the law, we become judgmental. That's a good way of seeing somebody who is too much into the law. When you've got a person that's constantly judgmental, that person is a law person. A lot of times they spend, and there's nothing wrong with keeping your nose in your Bible, but they keep their nose in their Bible and they don't, they, they don't balance with prayer. 
This is a good thing for a preacher. If you study for two hours for a message, you should pray for two hours. I'm just telling you the way that I, that I believe it. If you study for a message for half an hour, then you should pray half an hour. However amount of time that you spend studying, you need to balance that with prayer. Law, spirit. Law, spirit. That's the way it should be. I learned that a long time ago when I first got into, uh, into the church. I had a wise old preacher say that to me. And I've acted on that ever since. I may not get it down to a fine science. A lot of times God can give me a thought and I've got 27 years of notes back there. And I can go and find just about anything and some part of it that I've done. And then I revise everything and go over it again and change it because I'm a little smarter in the law than I used to be. Or I can look at it and see I've got too much law into it and pray through it and change it accordingly. That's the way it has to be or should be. <clears throat> we no longer depend, we no longer, excuse me, depend on the demonstration of, or let me get this right. Um, when we no longer depend on the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, we depend only on the law, then we've got a problem. And when this happens, fewer people come to our churches, and it seems that we cannot get over the 50 or the 100 mark. A lot of churches never get beyond that because of that very thing. They can't get beyond those particular marks. Now, again, I will say that you can build a congregation with just miracles and praise. You can do it. But without the law, you're not going to keep those people. That's just the way it works. When we have both, when we hold on to the apostolic doctrine and have the demonstration of the power of God, we have the continuation of the book of Acts. That's what we have. The key that brings it together is brokenness. I don't think I gave you these scriptures, um, Galatians 5, 24 and 25, and then uh, John 15, uh, 7 and 8. I'm not sure I gave, gave you those, um, and I'm going to go ahead and read them. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And... Um, John 15:7 through 8 in the NLT. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. This brings great glory to the Father. I don't know how much time I've really got to look at this. Uh, let me let me take a look here. Uh, I'm going to wait on this one because I've got a ton of scripture here. Um, save the, I, I think I've got a paper up there. It's got, it should start with Leviticus 9 and 6, 9.22. Can you save that for me for next week? I appreciate it. Because we're going to talk about, uh, again, we're, we're going to continue with the gifts of the Spirit. And this is how the glory of the Lord shall appear. We're going to have a lot of scriptures with this. And this is, uh, this it's a shorter lesson, but it's a very, very good lesson on how the glory of God should appear amongst the people and how we can bring that about and how we're supposed to bring that about. All right, any questions or comments uh, on my starboard side? You know, though. <laughs> None on my starboard side? 
Only got two people midship. How about my port side? Go ahead. Right? The miracle. Okay? We're taking advantage of what we, we need to financial. Let's get this thing finished. This bill. That's what he's saying. We're taking advantage of this victory. We need this. It's financial miracle. So let's claim it in Jesus' name. Go ahead. On the law side. Yes, you can. We've got to keep the balance. Yeah, we have to keep... Well, uh, and what you... You are not... I don't see any imbalance in you at all. If that's what you're, you're concerned about. Because we do have... Don't take this in the fact that we quit studying the Word. We do that, but we can get so... It's not necessarily the word. It is getting into, I've got to live so much according to this particular scripture. I've got to get above. And you focus on how you live above the, the, the spiritual end of things. That's what causes a person to be imbalanced. Um, if I focus on, I'm not a woman. If I focus on my, bre- my, 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 my dress length. And, and, you know, I've got to keep it in my ankles. And that, and I've known some. My reason I'm saying that, I've known some people in the past that did that. I've got to keep it so so far down, then, you know, I'm concerned, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm imbalanced. The other side of that is the miracle, or the miracle praise side, where I don't care if my dress is up here. When I jump, I can show everything that everybody wants to see. Okay, then you're too far the other direction. As far as being balanced, I, I, you know, there are some people, preachers tend to get imbalanced, really. They study so much, especially preachers that are learning. They study and they want to preach this excellent message, and they forget the spiritual side of things. You know, they forget. They get so focused. It's singers. Singers, the same thing. Singers get so focused on, and that's a law thing. They get so focused on singing well that they don't allow what they're doing to touch the congregation, that it might bring someone to the altar. It might, uh, you know, it might just bring a spirit of worship and love and miracles. It could bring all that. But, you know, they get all messed up because the church gets too loud. You know, it gets them off. And, and that's it's sad because that, that's not what it's about. It should, everything that we do should be to the glory of God. If we can understand that, and, and not just understand to hear, but hear, then we'll not get imbalanced. Do you have your hand up? One. Priest. Yeah. 
He was law. Yeah. This is, and what he's saying is very good because there's, there's, there's things, uh, in my case, uh, spiritual side's always been stronger for me. I, I study the, the scripture and, and the word, but I always look at it in terms of not so much law, but how it affects the spiritual side of things. It's a spiritual book. Uh, yes, you have the law, and I'm strong, I'm strong on, on that, but that's, that, that's harder for me than the spiritual side. And, and it's exactly right. And there is this, it's the same with all of us. I think we all have that, but we need to learn to develop our weak side. It's like a person wants to learn to, uh, you know, for most of you, be batting left-handed with me, shooting a bow left-handed. You know, <laughs> okay? I, I, I can't, I've tried that, and it's really difficult, so I tried to develop that. And it's not important unless something happens to my right arm, you know. Then, then all of a sudden, it's going to be important. So you need to learn to develop the weak side. That's true. That's good. It's good. That's excellent. And that's and and again, looking at that, if uh, of course I like to teach Bible studies, but you know I always feel again I feel like I was more on the spiritual side. But that doesn't change the fact that when you have that, if you learn to do work on the, your 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 law side, if you would that you can put the spiritual into that. You, you put that, and that's where the anointing comes in. You know, if you just got somebody who drones on who's a law person, you ever listen to You've heard them. They just drone and drone and drone, and you're back there trying to, you know, you know I've, I've seen some of you sleep with me, and I, it makes me feel bad, and I work on it. You know, it's a... <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's 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 a fact that you do you have to balance yourself and see where that is. And then, and again, there will always be something that you lean towards. And what he said was exactly right. If you get two people and not be offended, I you know I've been around people before, and I feel again I feel like I'm spiritual. But all they want to talk about is why don't we have miracles, or why don't we do this, or why don't we do that? 
you know, I just don't really have an answer. You know, the thing is, I just, well, then do some miracles. You know, you're asking, do them. And the other side of it, you know, I get tired of being asked some biblical questions that are, there's no answer to. You know, <laughs> there's so both sides. And I have been known to ask questions just simply because I want to see what someone will say. But, you know, it's kind of fun. Any other questions or comments? Go ahead. That's right. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. You can really, um, you know, there again, if you're at the point where you can't, and forgive me for saying this, but dumb down something because you get bored with it, then, there, you know, there's something wrong with you. You're definitely not a spiritual person. <laughs> you're more of a law person, I would, I would think. You're, a spiritual person would discern that it's just not about you know, putting all the 66 books memorized into this one person in one hour. This is about getting this person where they need to be with God, and that's the important thing. Anything else? Oh, of course you do. Can you imagine putting two of them together? <laughs> okay. That's true. Yeah, but he was doing it to save those poor angels. Yeah. Is this too much law? Too much law, don't you think? See, I'm spiritual. Angels is what was involved here. Those poor angels, you know, they couldn't defend themselves. <laughs> well, then, then maybe Lot was too, maybe he was too spiritual. That could have been. That <laughs> could have been. He was a chicken too. Oh, I'm sorry, but this is, just, this is just a scripture. If you got problems with it, talk to Peter about it. He's the one that said he was righteous. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Questions or comments? Go ahead. Okay, well, Lot was not a chicken. He was fearful. Spiritual. All right. True. That's what the Bible says. Can't argue with that. Good. Very good. No matter how wicked that is around us, we can be, and we can, and we can throw our kids out to the wolves. <laughs> that's, that's spiritual. Go ahead. God put our life, even after being in church, on the big screen, or recorded in the scripture after we lived it, and said, he did this. That's true. Very good. Yeah. 
I don't think it's wicked at all. <laughs> Go ahead, Brother Gillespie. You had your hand up. Okay. Well, that's what he was just saying, too. Yeah, he wasn't perfect. And he might have repented after he threw his girls out. You know, I threw my kids out of the house, and I repented right afterwards, but I wouldn't let them come back. <laughs> Go ahead. That's true. That's right. He just offered. My Lord, I didn't think we'd get a whole debate going over this one scripture. Go ahead. Isaac. There you go. Boy, it's a good thing everybody knows Scripture. Go ahead. Let's stand on that when I'm being obedient right now. <laughs> I love Wednesdays. <laughs> I do. It is so much fun. And do you know, you'd be surprised how much you like. What's, it's, what I like is hearing how much that you know. Really, it's, it's, it's excellent. It's, uh, it's good stuff. I guess I have a little bit too much law. I'm going to get spiritual again. All right, let's raise our hands to the Lord together right now. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, and I pray you touch each and every one, keep them safe as they travel. Lord, that you know all things and you do all things well. And we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now, ushers, throw everything.